welcome to this podcast. I'm Becca Fazard, a senior solicitor at Whitehead Monkton. And I'm Ella Colley, a paralegal. Becca and I work in the tax and estate planning team and today we're going to be talking about care fees. Yes, it's something a lot of people are concerned about, isn't it? Shall we chat through some of the basics about paying for care and then explore a case study? That sounds like a good idea. As everyone knows, care is expensive and most people have to at least contribute towards their care fees. There is some help available to meet the cost, but the care system can be really complicated and difficult to find your way through. Some people are eligible for financial help from the local authority or in some circumstances from the NHS. For example, if someone has been detained under the Mental Health Act, they will receive free aftercare funding and that's funded by the NHS and the local authority. A fully funded package of care is also available when someone has a primary healthcare need and they are eligible for NHS continuing healthcare as a result. That can be quite tricky to obtain though, can't it? Yes, the eligibility tests are quite hard to meet. I think we could talk for ages today just about NHS continuing healthcare, so I'll keep it really brief. But when considering eligibility, they look at 12 different areas of need. So things like breathing, cognition, continence. And they look at the nature, intensity, complexity and unpredictability of those needs to determine whether those needs are within the remit of the local authorities' responsibilities or whether they exceed that and should be the responsibility of the NHS. If someone is not eligible for NHS continuing healthcare, but they do require some care from a nurse in a nursing home, they should get NHS-funded nursing care. That's just a fixed rate contribution. It's paid directly to the nursing home and it's around £200 a week. It will not cover the whole cost of care, but it's, it's still worthwhile obtaining. So what happens if you're not eligible for the types of funding that you've just mentioned? Assistance with social care fees, whether you're in a care home or receiving care in your own home, is means tested. So you pay what you can afford. If someone has capital over £23,250, they pay the full costs of care and are known as a self-funder. Self-funders are likely to be eligible for disability non-means-tested benefits, so it's always a good idea to check how income can be maximised. A good example of this is attendance allowance. Lots of people don't realise that they're eligible for this. Exactly. If you have less than that figure of 23250 then this usually means you're eligible for funding support and your local authority could pay some or most of the fees. The local authority will carry out a financial assessment to work out how much you must contribute. If you have between 14250 and £23,250, you contribute from income included in the means test, such as pensions, plus an assumed income, which is based on your capital. The council pay the remaining costs of care. So you contribute from your income and capital? Yes, exactly. Income and capital contributions. Once your capital is less than 14,250, you contribute from income only. You'll be expected to pay towards the cost of care from your income, included in the financial assessment, such as your pensions. However, you must be left with a personal expenses allowance of at least £25.65 a week. It doesn't seem like much, but I suppose for somebody in a care home, they won't have many expenses, except maybe hairdressing, chiropathy and the odd treat. Yep, that's the thought process behind it. And if someone is receiving care in their own home, they will be able to keep more of their income to pay for things like food and utility bills. A lot of people are concerned that they have to sell their home to pay for their care, aren't they? Yes, that's something clients raise with us all the time. 
And they're always asking us if there are ways to avoid this, such as putting their house into trust or even giving it away. It sounds complicated and definitely something that you'd want to talk to with an experienced lawyer. What would the risks be involved and the rules around deliberate deprivation of assets? Yeah, there's so many places where you can get wrong there. Plus, many people do not realise that sometimes a house is not included in a financial assessment at all. Your home will not be included in the financial assessment if you receive care and support in your own home. Also, if you move into care permanently, your home will not be included if your partner still lives there or in certain circumstances, a relative, maybe an elderly relative or a young dependent. I think this brings us quite nicely onto our case study, which is loosely based on the circumstances of a client we have helped at Whitehead Moncton recently. Shall I introduce you to Bob and Brenda, some recent clients of mine? They are in their 70s and they've been married for many years. They have children who are grown up and their children have children of their own. Bob and Brenda own a farmhouse where they have lived together for many years. About 20 years ago, it was decided that a derelict barn on their land would be converted into a house for their daughter, Carol, to live in. Carol was pregnant at the time and Bob and Brenda wanted her and their grandchild to have the security of their own home and be close by. Carol paid for all of the conversion costs. Bob and Brenda later arranged for the converted barn to have its own title with the land registry and placed that into the joint names of Bob and their daughter Carol to reflect how much Carol has financially contributed to the renovation and as part of their inheritance tax and wider succession planning. The barn is now rented out these days and Carol and Bob each receive 50% of the income. Bob has recently moved into residential care and Brenda's really concerned about how they will pay for his care. Bob and Brenda do not have much money in the bank. The rental income and Bob's pension does not cover the care costs. The care costs are nearly £5,000 a month and there is a shortfall every single month. Brenda is worried that she will need to take out equity release or sell the house to pay for her husband's care. Carol does not want to sell the converted barn, so Brenda comes to Whitehead Moncton for advice. We looked at the circumstances and assets to see whether Bob would be a self-funder. Firstly, Bob and Brenda's farmhouse is automatically disregarded as Brenda is still living there. In terms of money in the bank, in Bob's sole name and his share of the joint accounts, this is under the lower threshold I mentioned earlier of around £14,000. He has no shares or investments. What about the converted barn though? You said he co-owns that with his daughter. Surely that puts his capital above the £23,250. Yes, he does have that interest in the barn and it is worth more than that £23,250. However, the correct approach to taking putting a value on Bob's half in the financial assessment for care fees is what a willing buyer would pay to a willing seller. We can therefore argue that his interest in this jointly owned property has a low or nil value. A share in a property is difficult to sell on the open market as not many people want to co-own with a stranger. I suppose that's where getting advice is key, isn't it? Yes, getting advice is so important when navigating the complexities of care. In this case, we assisted Brenda with the local authority financial assessment. The local authority took some convincing and explored whether there had been a deliberate deprivation of assets to avoid care fees when the barn was put into the names of Bob and Carol but ultimately agreed to disregard the value of the barn. This was a really brilliant result as it solved the problem of the monthly shortfall without any drastic action by the family, such as selling the property or taking out equity release. All of Bob's monthly income from his pension and the barn rental is paid towards his care fees, except for his personal expenses allowance, and the local authority pay the remainder of the monthly care fees. Each person's circumstances will differ, but that case study shows just how worthwhile it can be getting advice and ensuring the financial assessment is carried out properly. 
If you'd like to discuss care fees or would like further information, please do not hesitate to get in touch with us at Whitehead Monkton.